Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spirit Seeker Hour. Spirit Seeker Hour is your chance to delve into the world of your inner spirit. The Spirit Seeker Hour is brought to you by Spirit Seeker Magazine. Go to www.spiritseeker.com to find out more. And now, here's Cindy Meyer. Hello and welcome. And it is that time of year where we are all so busy. Um, where you're just looking at the days and thinking, oh my, and then yet another invitation comes or whatever. So I just wanted to remind you that the December issue of Spirit Seeker is online, www.spiritseeker.com, and there are a couple of great articles that will help you with holiday stress. One is um, determining through a short little quiz what color your aura is, and then based on what color your aura is, it gives you different tips on that particular aura color's de-stressors. So it's, a, it's wonderful, wonderful. And then next week, um, the lady who wrote that, Pam Osley, who is an author, will be my guest. So um, read that. And then there's a great article about breathing techniques. I, you know, Most of you know that I have just been you know, really into breath work probably since the early 90s. And it's the fastest way I know to de-stress the body. 70% of our detoxification of our body is through breathing. So there's all kinds of other great articles. And um, I'm going to do all announcements here and then bring my guest on. Um, if you would like to be added to our Sacrosanct email list, please send me, send me an email to info, I-N-F-O, at spiritseeker.com, and we will add you, let you know about the weekly radio shows and all of the other events and when the magazine is online. Okay, so in this issue of Spirit Seeker, there is an article by Scott Bloom about his new movie, Walk It. Scott has a really interesting background. He started in the music industry, and he's an Internet entrepreneur. Um, many of you have may or may not, and if you haven't, you need to hear about what he offers through the Daily Ohm. Um, he has worked just in so many different areas. So, Scott, without further ado, welcome. Whoops. Hello? Oh, there you are. <laughs> can you hear me? <laughs> yes, I can. I can. Technical difficulty, I guess. Oh, okay. Anyway. Well, thanks for having me today. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I, I think you were one of the most fascinating people. I, I interviewed you once a couple of years ago, and I just remember thinking, how, how in the world do you do this? And I know you're married, and you, you, know, um, you have a full life, and, you know, so let's just hear how... You know, how did you get started with all this? Were you a musician as a young young teenager, or where did all of this start from? Well, actually, um, I started um, more in the uh, technology world. Um, I actually um, ran away from home as a child, um, well, 16 years old, and uh, we lived in a small little town in the middle of nowhere, a town of 53 people. And I was very interested in computers back in the early 80s, and uh, they weren't as interested as I was. And so finally I just decided I'm going to take it on myself, and, and I kind of just started that and began uh, programming professionally as a teenager. So that was kind of uh, my my beginning into that world. But I had always been fascinated with the music business and um, I finally had uh, I, I developed lots and lots of video games. That was sort of the beginning, um, the beginning of my career. So I went to Japan and was the first uh, American to learn how to program the Nintendo, and uh, came back to the States and was making lots of video games. And uh, but music was my passion. So I, I had the opportunity to work with uh, Peter Gabriel um, and Paul Allen at the same time uh, in, in the music business, and that was kind of the beginning of that. When I then. Uh, um, start, started full full on in the music business, uh, mostly on the technology side, doing multimedia. And uh, shortly after that, started one of the first music websites called iMusic um, <sighs> back in back in Seattle. And then um, sold that to a company in Los Angeles. And my wife Madison Taylor and I moved to LA. And and I was um, sort of doing the craziness of uh, being in the LA in, uh, entertainment business at that point. Definitely full on. And uh, Madison started a very successful aromatherapy company, and I ended up quitting my job in the music industry to work with her full-time because her business was was completely taking off. 
we were spending all of our spare time um, meditating and doing yoga, mostly to deal with the craziness of being in Los Angeles. And um, shortly after we started working full-time, I could see that her business was being just as crazy uh, on the same trajectory as as, uh, my job in the music industry. So we had a heart-to-heart talk and said, is there any way that we could sort of combine our interest in spirituality um, with our professional lives? So we weren't like spending all of our time uh, working in order to support this, you know, habit of of meditating and doing yoga, but see if we could turn it upside down and and really integrate that uh, as a full time uh, in a full time basis. And so instead of going down the path of this uh, successful aromatherapy business that she had already created, we decided instead to create something new where we could focus on our spirituality, and that's where the idea for Daily Om came up. And um, we thought that we were um, we were kind of like pulling one over on the rest of the world and on, on the universe by by saying, okay, well, you know, we're going to see if we can pull this off. And uh, although the universe was was happy to let us think that it was um, purely egotistical and self centered at the beginning, uh, it wasn't. It didn't take very long when we until we realized that we were actually in service to the universe. And and uh, by that time we were hooked. <laughs> and so that was kind of our life that that changed from then on. Well, and you know, it's it's interesting to me, you know, several people, you know, on Facebook were like, you know, sending me messages, who, what, what is Daily Ohm? What is, you know, there are still people that do not know what the Daily Ohm is. So, you know, I, I love the Daily Ohm. I get my, my uh, meditation, I get the Daily Ohm music review, <laughs> it's like, you oh. know. So, so tell our listeners, and, and you know, and how they can, um, if they're not getting uh, the daily wonderful gifts from Daily Ohm, how do they do it? Sure. Um, so basically, Daily Ohm is a um, is a, an inspirational website where you could get daily me- messages of uh, inspiration and awareness uh, every day into your inbox for free. So we have 1.2 million subscribers right now where everybody are coming together and, and sort of uh, reading the same messages uh, at the same time. We have uh, the inspiration uh, articles, which is essentially the heartbeat of Daily Ohm. We also have uh, horoscope, as you mentioned, we also have um, music reviews, and then if you want to deepen your relationship um, with with the authors that we work with, you can also um, subscribe to online courses. We we have uh, online courses from many de- best-selling authors, authors. I think at this point we have uh, nearly 300 online courses that we offer, and what's sort of unique is you can pay what you want, which is great. So how much ever you can afford, you can you can charge you can pay for that. And um, you can go to dailyom.com, D-A-I-L-Y-O-M, uh, as in Mary, dot com, and there's lots of things to do for free, and there's uh, other things to do if you want to uh, de- deepen the experience. Well, and, you know, Spirit Seeker does three music reviews each month. I mean, and we, as much music as people send us, we could probably do ten a day. But, you know, what I love about the Daily Ohm music portion is that each day, like today, was oneness, and you can uh, listen to all the sound clips from the CD. So Waves of Bliss, Plane of Forgiveness, um, I mean, it's just beautiful. And then sometimes there are mantras, and it's a great way to start the day just to, you know, turn it on while you're sitting there, you know, getting organized for the day. And then, of course, the daily astrology and then wonderful gift items. And I did not realize what the classes that anyone can take them because it's, uh, it's, so it's, a, it's whatever you can donate. Yep. Yep, that's, 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 correct. that's beautiful. I did not know that. So, um, so great. And then, I know you were an author. You, um, you, you know, did the trilogy books, and then that is. It's my understanding that that is what led to Walk In. So, where would you like to go next? <laughs> There's so many sure. things well, we could talk about. <laughs> so, so we can kind of pick up where um, where I left off as far as how uh, how we started Daily Om. Um, Daily Om is. Uh, Founded primarily between my, myself and my wife, we, we definitely have a lot of uh, great people that help us, employees, um, as well as contractors that help. But but at the core of it is my wife and I. And my wife Madison is responsible for all of the content on Daily Ohm, and I'm responsible for more of the uh, business and technology side of it. So that's how we kind of had the relationship uh, divvied up. And then one day I woke up and um, a a story completely downloaded to me in a matter of two seconds where I never had heard of this this idea before and then all of a sudden this story came to me fully formed and that was my first book um, Waiting for Autumn 
And uh, the second book that I wrote, which was came very similar, completely fully formed and da- downloaded, which is Summer's Path, which is the prequel to um, to that. And what I did when when this story downloaded to me is I did what most people do when spirit knocks on their door is is I ignored it for as long as possible because you know <laughs> I was like I running, know, I know. running completely in the opposite direction, saying no, no, no. You know, my my wife is the one who's responsible for all of the content. You know, it just didn't make any sense um, on so many different levels for for this to be coming through me. And and to be honest, the reason I wrote it down uh, wasn't because I was interested in uh, becoming an author. It was because I wanted to get it out of me because it was becoming physically painful, being trapped inside of my body. And so I finally just like wrote it down to get um, get it out of me. I didn't read one word of it until it was all written. Um, And and then I sat back and I read it and I'm like, where did this come from? (laughs) And I was just like, okay, well, I, I suppose that if I'm listening to um, the universe and I'm actually practicing what I'm preaching uh, through daily om, that you know I need to honor what's what's come through me and um, and maybe share this with the world. And so that was kind of the you know how I became an author was was uh, sort of listening to what the universe was trying to say through me. Um, there's been three books now published in the trilogy, um, all published by Hay House, and uh, something similar happened with the film that there was a producer that knocked on our door and wanted to talk to Madison about doing a daily own movie. And although she wants to do a daily own movie, she wasn't ready to do it yet and said, well, Scott's books are more cinematic. Um, you know, maybe you should talk to him. And so it was just sort of presented to me on a silver platter. Initially, uh, they came with a, um, a, a director in, in tow, a successful, uh, Hollywood director that, that, um, you know, is very experienced and very talented, and uh, we had lots of meetings about how he was going to adapt my book into a film, which, of course, is you know most authors' dreams to be you know be able to have their their books realized into a movie. Um, and I was just about to sign the contract when there was something that was holding me back, and I, I just kept on saying, "Well, you know what? How could this person um, adapt this?" this book um when i've been living with these characters for you know for years and you know i felt like i helped bring these characters to life although they have the life of their own now i was definitely you know one of one of the the key instruments in bringing them to life as as a parent and um finally i just said you know what i don't think it's possible for anybody else to know these characters as well as i do these are all of the reasons why it's not feeling right to me you know, I, I'm sure that you're going to, you know, ban me from, from ever making a movie in Hollywood, but at this point, I just have to say no. And so um, I, I walked away from, from the deal, and, and they said, well, it sounds like you have a lot of great ideas. Would you like to direct it yourself? Oh, and <laughs> I couldn't believe that they, they said that, of course, you know. If you know anything about the music in, or the movie industry, it never happens. That absolutely no, 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 they happens. want total control. They want, they I want mean, total it just, control. It, Right, I mean, just like this Blustein prophecy, they they wanted to change a lot with that book, and he said, no, it's it's what it is. <laughs> but you don't get right. that very often. Right, absolutely. Um, so so yeah, that that's how it happened. I mean, they were definitely trying to um, to create something new and innovative with kind of a crowdfunding um, idea for for the films, which film world, which wasn't actually that common at the time. Um, now it's a lot more common with Indiegogo and, and Kickstarter, et cetera. But at the time, it was a pretty innovative idea. Um, at the end, uh, they they just completely committed to it, and um, they they supported it all the way through and gave me complete creative control like they said they would. And it was, um, you know, everything that's that's right or wrong with the movie is, is definitely my fault. Um, so it was it was a great experience, and I really enjoyed it. I just can't even imagine, like, how many hours that must have taken from as busy as your life already was, and yet you listened, you know? And, I mean, what a phenomenal experience that had to be. Yeah, it it definitely was a phenomenal experience. And, you know, again, I think I I try to discern between uh, experiences that are coming from me and my my brain and my intellect um, versus what's coming from... uh, you know the universe and and is uh, sort of sense through my heart or, or intuition or, or different words that you want to use. But basically, when when it's clear that spirit is calling, I, I try to have some really good reasons to uh, to say no. 
um, because most of the time I feel that it's the right thing to do to say yes, whether it makes logic sense or logical sense or not. And um, you know, we had just had our first child uh, shortly, you know, right right around that time. So uh, it definitely was not good timing to to make a movie and to you know, especially to embark on my uh, my first directing role. But um, but it was one of those times where it just felt like okay, this is going to be really hard on us. Um, but at the same time, as far as you know, our time and everything. Uh, but at the same time, this is a, definitely a once in a lifetime experience. A and B, there's a reason that spirit's calling, and and I should you know honor that. And so so that's basically what we did. So with this movie, and I have and I have watched it, and I I don't want to give too much away because I want everyone else to um, to to purchase it and experience it with their friends and family. Um, But one of the questions is, you know, is it a little bit uh, autobiographical? I mean, is it a little bit of your own story or did it just show up on the paper and you looked at it and went, okay, parts of this are where I've been, parts of it are just, you know, where my mind has gone. I mean, it it feels like, you know, the person is a little, you know, engineer, smart, et cetera, and, and yet there's this whole, the whole thing so metaphysical from start to finish. Well, so um, I, I, I call all of my books fiction just because I don't like to have, you know, reality get in the way of, of a good story and, and allowing these stories to really touch other people. And so in my opinion, these stories are, are meant for the whole world. And um, I, I, I don't, you know, try to say, okay, well, this exactly happened that way. That, that. So I just basically say the whole thing is fiction. So that's, that's sort of the catch-all, so I don't really have to answer that question. But, but to, to, to be as honest as I can, um, of the trilogy, uh, starting with Summer's Path, moving into Waiting for Autumn, and then Winter Moon Rises, I would say the first book, um, Summer's Path in the series, um, is probably the least autobiographical, and Winter's um, Winter Moon Rises is the most autobiographical, and um, Waiting for Autumn is somewhere in between. Um, Walk In is based on the first book, Summer's Path. So, um, so I would say that there are definitely parts of it that um, that are uh, based in in my life, but but less so than um, than the other two. And I think one of the big clues on that, if you have read um, my books, is that Summer's Path is the o- the only book that doesn't have the char- a character named Scott. So, <laughs> you know, I think the, that's that's one clue. And uh, it's also the only book that doesn't have the a character named Madison. So, again, oh, you can kind of get an idea of what's, uh, what's true um, when you look at some of the character names. Okay. And listeners, if you have a question, just push one on your phone. I think it's one pound. Just uh, And then my producer will let me know that you have a question for Scott. But you know, Scott, I want to um, talk about what is a walk-in. I mean, you know, a lot of people are like, what is a walk-in? That You know, there's, there's so many people in different, you know, parts of their passage or their path, so to speak. But, you know, I've heard about walk-ins for years, but your movie was just, it was fascinating. So, for someone who's like, what are they talking about, walk-in? How would you explain to someone who has no clue what we're talking about what a walk-in is? Well, um, in, in general, um, what a walk-in is, is it is uh, a metaphysical term to describe what happens when uh, one soul leaves a body um, and w- once, the bo- once that soul is finished with that body and then another soul comes into that body and takes over. So um, one can think about it as in terms of, let's say, when um, when a body would normally die, and a soul would would then um, you know move on to the spirit world. Um, traditionally, that soul that that body would would no longer um, you know live and breathe. However, in the case of a walk-in, another soul would come and take over, and then use that body for whatever they have to do in this life. Um, traditionally, it's it's a lot less. Um, you know, less less time because that that body is already living and breathing and, and is has some level of maturity, so that that's essentially uh, it. Um, is, is that a good good way to that's describe it? That's a very it? good description, you know. And it's because it, I thought, you know, I'll never forget, you know, um, when the AIDS um, people were dying of AIDS, you know, so regularly. And I remember Louise Hay saying that when she would hold a baby, she would say, "Are you Jimmy?" 
are you, you know, John or whatever? I mean, she'd look at, because so many of the AIDS patients, by the time they died, they'd been through such a journey of, of returning, shall we say, to what's, I mean, what's really important or whatever and figuring it all out. So the, so she would look at the babies and think, okay, have those souls already reincarnated into these little tiny bodies? But the difference is that we, and you explained it very well, the walk-ins may not need a physical body for, um, you know, years. It may just be that they need that body before that, that soul, you know, or, or that body's just dropped back back to the, you know, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. So, you know, I thought you did a great job. I mean, I, I, I watched this movie with a couple of my girlfriends, and the, and the one is metaphysical and the other one is not. She's a, she's a major go business lady, and I could tell she was perplexed by, by a lot of it. And, of course, we talked afterwards, and, I, and I, she's like, I don't know. I just don't know. And I said, <laughs> so it was just really interesting, you know, to, to have the three of us discuss it. And so I just thought you portrayed it beautifully, how – I mean, and I don't know how much to talk about because I want them, you know, to, to be intrigued and, and, you know, get this DVD. But, um, but I mean, that it had to be so interesting. Um, to, I mean, this just came out of your head. Well, not your head. You co-created it with the universe. We know how that works. And, I mean, I can imagine when you read this on that paper, there's a stream of consciousness writing, like, way beyond what the average person um, allows themselves to tap into. So, I mean, it's just fabulous. Well, yeah. Actually, in the in the case of in the case of Summer's Path, um, that that story definitely came uh, once again fully formed. In fact, I, an interesting story about about the way that that book came to me. I was actually in Las uh, Las Vegas meeting with the CEO of Hay House at um, a Hay House um, I Can Do It conference, and um, my book was about to come out um, about a month and a half from then, my first book, uh, Waiting for Autumn. It was already scheduled. Um, it, it was about a two-year journey from the time that it originally came to me versus the time that, you know, we, we um, you know, negotiated with, with Hay House and then went through the editing process and then the design process and, you know, getting the, the cover right and the marketing plan and blah, blah, blah. It's about two years, right, from beginning to end. A month before the book was finally going to drop. We were just talking about last-minute marketing ideas. And for some reason, somebody took over my mouth and started talking, and I don't know who it was, but said, hey, I have an idea. Why don't we release a prequel to Waiting for Autumn before it comes out, get people interested in the story, and then want to know what happens next? And um, the CEO of Hay House was like, that's a great idea. Let's do that. Okay, so that's part of the plan. Wonderful. And then as I'm walking away from the meeting, um, my brain kicks in, and I, I hear, well, why did you just say that? I have no idea what's going to, to be the prequel to the, you know, to the story. It took us two years to get there. We only have a month left, and you're saying that we're going to write another book and release it before the book comes out. So I have you know, one month to do this and I have no idea what the story is I, and so I was like you know the only smart thing to do if you're going to you know sac- um, to uh, rescue this relationship with Hay House is to run back beg on your knee- hands and knees say I don't know who just said that but it's time but it wasn't me and forget everything I just said can we talk about some other ideas um, but of course my ego wouldn't let me do that and so I went home and I woke up as soon as um, the, the first day that I got back from uh, from Las Vegas, I woke up at uh, four in the morning, and once again, the entire story was fully formed. Once again, and four o'clock is when these mystics and saints have always arisen. I mean, that's that's the you know, I mean, whenever I wake up before, I'm like, oh, hello to everyone. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, uh, unfortunately, I, it happens to me too often. <laughs> well, I know I had one of those nights last night. But you know, I think I was at that same conference. Is that the one where? Uh, she launched her radio show right in the middle of the You Can Do It in Las Vegas. It was 2005, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. In fact, we were on the radio. Yeah, yeah that was right. That. Yeah, right. we were on that the radio. All, yeah, yeah, it was yeah. One of the, yeah, it was so busy. And, and uh, actually, that was one of Louise's last, you know, um, she was there signing and talking to people. and. Um, right, yeah, and she always stands up when she when she uh, signs. It's incredible. Yeah, and it was fabulous. That was the year that Christine Northrup, 
uh, Carolyn Mace and Denise Lynn, I think I got them all, all turn, oh, wait a minute, yeah, I think that's it, all turned 50 during that, con- you know, right at that conference. Oh, you know? really? And, and I don't know, Doreen Virtue, I don't remember, I don't remember, but I just remember it was, there was so much energy, you know, yeah. because launching the radio show, and that was going on, you know, in the middle of this conference in Las Vegas at that Venetian, uh, Venetia Hotel. Right, right, right. <laughs> So yes. there you are. So so you actually took the on the assignment at four o'clock in the morning. Yeah, and, wake, it, and, and it it just came. It came to me fully formed, and once again, it took me about a week and a half to two weeks to write it all down. Once again, I didn't read a word of it um, until it was done. I, I didn't, you know, halfway through, I I just really didn't even remember what was what was going on. I was just writing it all down. It was almost like one scene at a time. I would like play it in my mind, write down what I was seeing, um, and then move on to the next scene. And I didn't necessarily remember what the previous scenes were. I was just sequentially doing it one after another. And then I, and I sat back and I read the whole thing again. And I said to myself, what's a walk-in? I have no idea what a walk-in is. And so I did what most people do when they when they hear about something is I type it into Google. And I said, what's a walk-in? And then all this stuff comes up, and it's like Ruth Montgomery and all this stuff. And I'm like, huh, that's interesting. Um, I wonder if what I wrote is true. <laughs> you know? And so I just you know, you know, spent the next uh, few weeks um, uh, putting it into English. And you know, at this point, it was fast-tracked through the editorial um, department because, you know, the CEO said make it happen. But, you know, traditionally it takes a year for that to happen. And we basically did it in, in oh, like two weeks. So um, that's why it, it, we, we released it and, it and it immediately went to number one on the Kindle. Um, beat out, um, you know, all of the uh, Twilight books at the time and all of that, which was a kind of a big deal. And um, as soon as it hit number one, then I pulled it because I just really didn't like the fact that we didn't have enough time to edit it. And so then when Waiting for Autumn was successful, then I went back to Hay House and I said, you know, can we spend some time and edit this properly and, you know, give me some time to actually finish the book. And and they were kind enough to do that. And so I rewrote it um, again and then we put it out in hardcover. And then um, when this producer came to me, they talked about it. But the whole premise is that you know uh, um, a man uh, goes uh, has a fatal disease, and just as he's about to lose all hope, he meets an angel in his dreams who agrees to take over his body, as we were talking, as a walk-in, in return for giving him the body of a puppy. And so the. Um, that was ahead, that was one that was one part of that movie that I didn't. Okay, he did not. It, Unless I missed it, yeah. he said he wanted to come back in a younger body. Right. And then all of a sudden, there he is, the family pet, watching <laughs> his former body taken over by this walk-in, and right. he's like seeing everything. Like he gets to see his kids, and I mean, I thought, right. oh, this is so trippy. It really, it really <laughs> was. Just like, did he did he say a younger dog, or did he say a younger body? Uh, no, actually, what he said was a healthy body. And yes. they said, well, and we'll younger. give you a younger body. And he, and he said, are you sure it's going to be healthy? And he said, yeah. And he said, can it be younger? He said, yeah. But he didn't. But the angel wasn't exactly uh, up front that it wasn't going to be, uh, okay. uh, you know, non-human body. So, um, so, so, the, so, the difference, so the difference between the book and the movie was the book follows the journey um, inside of the body of the puppy. And it was like, what was it like to be in the body of a puppy was kind of what the book was about. But I just figured with such um, a limited um, theatrical budget as well as, you know, being my first movie, I didn't think that I was going to be able to take that on without it coming across as being really cheesy. And so I rewrote the story a third time, this time from the perspective of the walk-in instead of the walk-out. So what was it like to be that angel? And more important, what was the relationship between the wife, the former wife, and this new person that's in the body um, of of the husband's, you know, the, the former husband's body. So for, for me, that was kind of more interesting is is really taking on the relationship as opposed to the metaphysical side, which is what the more the book is about. And this was more the human side of what happens when you have um, a an intense metaphysical or spiritual experience that you're not sharing with your partner, and how does that uh, how does that true, uh, true. change the relationships that you're having? And so that's kind of what I was trying to take you know, to an extreme uh, in, in this case. 
which you did. And, you know, it's it's funny that you say that because I can remember one time a friend of mine who's authored, you know, 17, 18 books, and she's actually introduced me to breath work in the early 90s. And I remember her saying one time, um, I don't know, there were probably 300 people there, and she was just, she said, you know, when one person's on the path and the other one isn't, right. it can work. It can work, but it's a lot more challenging if you're both on the same page you know you know such as you and your wife and you're both like you know thinking this is normal that you know i mean because in when you have two people that aren't on the same page it's it's very like you know this wife knew nothing about what he was going through like this deep searching of the soul and she just was totally on the outside of it right yeah literally right literally but but I think that, you know, so many people are secretive or hold things close to the chest. Like, you know, when that voice came out that wasn't your voice, that just, you know, spirit can do that. You know, I mean, it. I, I remember this friend of mine just had a job um, review, and the, and she's like one of the top people in this company. And the the guy says, well, you know, how are you liking your job? You know, is everything okay? And she's and out of her mouth came these words that they didn't come from her, but they did. She says, "Actually, I'm quite bored, and I've been bored for a long time, and I'm not very happy." And then she realized what came out. I mean, they they were thoughts, but not you know. So I said, "Well, that was spirit. Spirit just spoke your truth for you." Right, right, <laughs> right. And so, did she keep the job? She's no, she's being replaced, and she wasn't totally ready for this to happen this quickly, but her job is such that it will take probably three to six months to train someone to take on all of her capacity, and she's she's letting it go. I mean, she hasn't been happy for a while, and I find that so much right now, I mean, I don't know if that's your experience, but so many people that have been, you know, maybe financially rewarded for the job, but it's not their, their true um, contributing in a different way to the world at a larger level. Um, it just feels like more people, you know, are waking up right now. I don't, I, I don't right. know if that's your experience, but it, it, it's, it's totally different right now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is this is definitely the time where, um, you, you know, we. That's what I. In some ways, I feel that that's what 2012 um, was all about. Is is really a marker in time. I, I felt I felt it quite substantially in the year or two leading up to it. And um, and then at that point, at, at 2012, it felt like, okay, this is now the tipping point. The tipping point has now happened. And now, uh, you know, I'd say, quote, the average person is, is now uh, really getting in touch with, with what it is, you know, to be, uh, have this this spiritual experience in this human body and and not having them be so so disparate as they, they have been for so many years. Well, and I think that more and more people talking about it in movies such as this, the books that you're doing, the daily ohm that you're doing, I mean, your hands are in so many different things. And, you know, with your scientific computer background and the fact that, you know, at age 15 or 16, you're like, you know what, Mm, this isn't working. You know, I mean, I was 17 when I left home. I remember just saying, see ya, bye, thank you. I mean, not exactly, (laughs) but, you know, but, but pretty much, I mean, I've been on my own, you know, since I was quite young. And... And I and I don't and you know other people will say what you you put yourself through college I'm like yeah I did it the roundabout way but you know I did it in whatever way that worked for me right. and um, you know and I I knew from the time I was young I was going to be in healing and I started off as a nurse but then you know I'll never forget one of the people I interviewed one night said well you started off with Archangel um, you know Raphael with the healing but you would never have reached your level of giving to the world if you hadn't stepped into Archangel Gabriel, started publishing, started, you know, bringing the works of all the other people to the forefront so that they can read about all these things. And, you know, I've been publishing the Spirit Seeker for 17 years, which is just hard to believe. I don't know where the time's gone. But, um, but you know, and we, we've been published online since 1998, which, you know, was pretty pretty much ahead. When you, when you were talking about the computer and all that, I remember my first 286, <laughs> You know, but my uh-huh. brother had one even before that. You know, right. uh, always drawn to technology. But, but you know, I, you know, going in between all these different worlds. I, you know, I, and the other thing that you know brought to mind. I mean, I've done a lot of study about Hinduism, and you know, Mahavatars come and go at will, and you know, Babaji pops in at different ages, and you know, so it reminded me a little bit about that. But the average person doesn't understand that either. So. So if you're going, what is she talking about? A Mahavatar is similar to a walk-in, but it's the same soul person coming back in different um, different time periods. And then they prove who they are. He proves who he is, and all the things are given back. But, you know, 
you know, and, and I've worked a lot with people that, you know, Dolores Cannon, who has done so much of the, the, the extraterrestrial research and, you know, psychic phenomena. She's been on all these teams and everything. And, you know, she's talked about walk-ins for a while, but not very many people really have talked about it. And so I feel like you have channeled the, the next thing for, the, for people to understand with spiritual adeptness, shall we say. Maybe that's not the right word. But you yeah, know what I'm talking about. Right, yeah, it's, that's interesting. I, I was, you know, like I said, it was new to me um, after after writing it. And then once I, the, you know, the book came out, then I started getting a lot more exposure, you know, to it. The people were coming out of the woodwork and saying, you know, I'm a walk-in, et cetera. And then as soon as I put out the movie, and I think, you know, a lot of it has to do with the fact that, you know, the, the name of the movie is Walk-In. So I think it attracts a lot more attention than the name of the book Summer's Path. Um, and, and I started getting all kinds of different people coming out of the woodwork saying how, you know, that they're a walk-in and, uh, some people, you know, are, are, are very excited, um, about it and other people are less than excited about it because, um, you, you know, I think a lot of people are looking at it as a very, um, sort of precious, uh, experience and, and it's, as you know, it's it's kind of uh, explores many different levels. Uh, the film and 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 although it definitely talks about Watkins as um, you know definitely a, a metaphysical type experience and a journey that that one goes through, I think the main thread that ties the the uh, film together is just the concept of integrating um you know the dark side and the light side of of your of yourself and and really exploring um what is the shadow especially as it applies to um metaphysical beings um in in this case the the, the angel so this, this is i think one of the few times especially in spiritual cinema where we're actually exploring is it possible for um an angel to have um motivations that aren't a hundred percent um you know happy and and uh, supportive of of uh of everybody so i think you know that that to me is is definitely a metaphor of of the shadow and and how that you can't truly move forward with your own spiritual path until you you not only acknowledge your your shadow but integrate it as an important and valuable piece of all of your daily lives because i think a lot of us when we're starting our spiritual journey we really want to stay um in the sort of happy happy joy joy part of of church um as opposed to it being really all of us about all of us not just one part of us Right, it's a whole thing. You know, yeah. I, I'll never forget one of the Hay House conference when Debbie Ford was, um, you know, when, you know, her shadow work. And I remember right. her saying that, you know, she had, you know, finally gotten out of her, you know, addictive cycle and realized that if she didn't switch it, she wasn't going to be here much longer. And, and she said, so then, you know, I went into this whole spiritual realm, you know, and I was a spiritual girl. And <laughs> she had this whole other side of her. And she's standing in front of a room of people saying, oh, yes, and now I meditate and all this stuff. And this guy in the back of the room says, and you're a bitch. And she's like, what? And he says, and you're a bitch. She goes, well, I know that, but how did you know that? <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> she just helped so many people. Because, you know, we all have these, well, I shouldn't speak for you or for everyone, but I know I have this side that occasionally comes out and I'm like, oh, no. You know, that, I thought I'd handled that, you know, that part of Sybil you know, or whatever. You know what I'm talking about. But it's like, yeah. but we all have the shadow side. But, you know, you can't have the light without the dark. And you bring a lot of that into this film where, where you know, it's, I mean, it was just hysterical. And I, I knew I wanted to ask you, how did he wind up coming back as a dog? But, you know, but... But um, but let's switch gears just for a second. Uh, Ruth Montgomery, some of you may know of her or may not. She's one of the oldest in, you know, metaphysical realm, so to speak, you know, writers. And she has claimed that Benjamin Franklin, Gandhi, and Christopher Columbus, um, and many other popular historic figures were walk-ins. Do you agree? Well, so I think when it comes to um, having some really amazing uh intense experiences that that you have on your um sort of soul contract the 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 work that you have to do in this world and there's certain people i mean i think all of our work is important and it's all intense and for for what we have in our journey um sometimes i think 
some of our, our journeys affect more people than others. And I think that when you're talking about somebody like Gandhi, who truly affected a lot of people through his work on Earth, that, that there are times when people like that could probably use some extra help from the uh, from the spirit world, you know whether it's um, you know whether it's what you would call um, God or or an angel or or faith or however you you want to to describe it. But the idea that somebody like Gandhi would draw on some spiritual help to be able to accomplish everything that he uh, did when he was on Earth, I think is a pretty reasonable assumption. Right, that if you're if you buy into the whole idea of of spirituality, that having somebody like that use spirituality as a as a tool to help them through their journey seems likely, and um, and so in that case, I don't really have a problem with um, w- with that help manifesting in many different ways. And some people use the term angel, which I I have a tendency to to like that word of being able to have a um, a spirit from uh, from another dimension come and walk on this planet in some form or another um, in order to help others. And I believe that 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 a walk-in is just one um, of the ways that an angel might manifest themselves. And so in, in that case, I would say that that it's very possible. That um, that somebody like Gandhi had a lot of help and and was was it a, a walk-in? Sure, why not? You know, it seems seems reasonable. Um, he sure did something that would cons- be considered superhuman, and um, I ca- I cannot you know imagine what he and his family went through uh, in order to change the world in, in the way he did. So so yeah, I, I do believe that he probably had some help, and it wouldn't surprise me if it was a walk-in. You know, you just look at um, Nelson Mandela, who just passed, right. and, and um, oh my gosh, one of the Facebook posts that I read was uh, Bill Clinton, you know, interviewed him uh, after he was out of prison, and, you know, he awakened his daughter Chelsea to come watch, he says, you're, you're about to see history, you know, when he was released, and, you know, and everything, and one of his questions to Nelson Mandela is, didn't you hate them, didn't you just, you know, weren't you angry, and Nelson Mandela was like, yeah, I was. I, I was angry, and I did hate them. But then I realized that if I stayed there, they would still have me, even after 27 years in prison. Yeah. And I wasn't, I, I, I couldn't do that. And, you know, you look at, you know, how he just influenced the world, and yet for 27 years, you know, he had his freedom taken away. But, you know, it's like, I don't know. I mean, it, he's he's, you know, still people are just finding out, and... You know, there's just these people. I mean, you know, you look at Benjamin Franklin. Look at all the different things that that man did. And you know, he was he was a, wasn't he a uh, Rosicrucian or something? He was like totally spiritual. And I might be wrong on that, but um, you know, but I always look at the hundred dollar bills. And I'm like Benjamin Franklin. You did a good 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 thing for us. <laughs> you know, in the in the time that you were here. And you know, Christopher Columbus. I mean, just think. You know, people thought he was crazy. That's like so. So much with, you know, you know, fasting and, you know, peace against war. I mean, so many different people have, have helped shape our world. And, you know, what you're doing is helping us all go to the next level. And I, I couldn't agree more about the 2012. You know, it was an ending of a way of thinking and, um, and moving to a new level. And, you know, you mentioned the crowdsourcing. Can you explain, because I, I go to an Internet Profits Conference, uh, I've gone two years in a row, and I mean, they're always on the, the, the edge of everything that's going on Internet-wise, but can you explain, I mean, and was that somewhat how you got this movie funded, or, or how did that all play into this? Um, so what crowdfunding is, I said is the wrong thing. Yeah, crowdsourcing. It's it's the same thing. Uh, crowdsourcing money. Um, so crowdfunding is essentially going to an audience and asking them to help contribute to um, to fund something that that you want to to make. And so uh, let's say it's in the case of a movie that you would say, okay, we have 
um, let's uh, say a, a million fans that are interested in the next thing we're doing. So instead of going to a movie studio and asking them and spend the several years it takes to convince them to put the money up to make the movie, then the idea is that you go to a million people and you know ask them all to contribute a dollar or something, and then you have a million dollars. So that's that's kind of the idea um, because these people are already fans of your work and so that maybe they should support it. Um, I actually personally... I'm not a big fan of crowdfunding. I think that um, it's it's kind of weird to ask somebody to buy into your vision before you have something um, that that people can actually enjoy. Because in the case of a movie, it's you know two or three years out, and there were some definitely some people that that um, went ahead and and did that, and I you know totally um, very very pleased and and very thankful that they did. Um, fortunately, in this case, the um, the, the producers uh, ponied up a lot of the other money as well, so it wasn't 100% reliant on them, the uh, the fans, to do it. But I just feel that it's weird to ask people to put money on something that you're not going to see anything result for, for many years. Um, I, I think maybe when you're recording an album or you're doing something that's more immediate, like put in... Uh, that you you like Trader Joe's or something, and you're like, oh, I want one in my town. Well, hey, if everybody comes together, then you can you know get free food for the first year after you do that, and maybe that makes sense. But um, but something that's that's not that's a little bit far out, I just find this is um, I don't know. It's my my own personal opinion. That being said, it's a whole industry and it's changed the world, and and so far so good. Um, definitely, I, I I'm a fan. I contribute to different projects of my friends for sure, and I'm definitely thankful that I was able to help fund um, walk in through crowdfunding. But I don't know if I'd do it again, to be honest. You know, it was a new concept to me. You know, I mean, I was familiar with affiliate marketing and, you know, you don't, you know, like someone, if you have a, uh, an email list of 3,000, then someone puts something on there and you don't make money unless they make money. And I've had good experiences and bad with that. You know, right. not everyone is on the up and up um, 100%. Right. 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 Um, but that's with anything. But, you know, so, but I just thought, what an interesting concept. And then I don't know if that's the same one where if you have an idea for a T-shirt, then they... Um, they vote on it. No, that's a different thing. I don't, it, 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 it's to me, there are so many new ways of doing business, and it's because of the internet. You know. Yeah, and, absolutely. That's that's the key is is basically bringing people together in order to change the world in one way or the other. And and I think just reorganizing uh, the 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 power the power structure and the paradigm that has shaped um, business and therefore society. Um, is is now completely um, it's like an X just gets just totally shaken up, and we get to draw it from scratch now. And I think that that's great. And I think that um, that crowdfunding is is wonderful to um, allow that to happen. And I think one of the things that's good about crowdfunding is when you know somebody truly needs help, like in the case of um, you know needing a kidney or I don't know those types of things where you can truly uh, make an impact on people's lives. I, th- I think that it's it's. There, there's nothing wrong at all with all of that. But as it, with everything, especially that that's so centered around money, it's so easy to get corrupted. And and I think that right. you know there's there's um, a thousand bad ideas for every good idea. And um, you know fortunately there's there's some wonderful sites like Indiegogo that 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 highlights the better ones. And I I look at Indiegogo all the time just because it's it's a really cool place to find. Um, new things that that you just haven't thought of before, um, and and sometimes I contribute to the campaigns and sometimes I don't, but I'm always interested in what they're doing. Right. It's just you know, I mean, I have a. It's funny you were talking about 16 when you moved out. My son's my youngest one's turning 16, but I raised up kids in their 40s, in their 30s, and then mine are late 20s and 25, and then this soon-to-be 16-year-old and. I'll never forget my 25-year-old asking her older brothers that weren't that much older, well, when you came home from school, did you um, did you watch movies too? And they just looked at her and they said, well, no, there weren't um, – there wasn't anything like that then because, I mean, I can remember when the VCRs just first came out, you know, and when you look right. at technology now, it's not that long. I mean, we're talking about 25 years. The Internet really didn't start at the level that it is until 1994. I mean, I can remember, you know, watching the TV shows and they'd be like, oh, yeah, you're going to get uh, mail and email because everybody did fax machines, you know. It was right. Just, you know, that the, oh, so many, someone at, you know, and I, I remember having a, um, 
oh my gosh, an email account, and I didn't even know how it worked. And all of a sudden, I realized I had a hundred emails, and because I didn't even know how to access them, well, I've you know, of course, I've had to learn quickly. You know, with publishing, you know, you have to be, you know, we upload everything directly to the the server. I mean, they used to we used to take photos of the boards. <laughs> Right. And, you know, I mean, it's just technology has just changed us so much. And, you know, I mean, my 16-year-old's grown up with an iPhone on his hand. I mean, and was on computers when he was age three. You know, I mean, so it's just, it's different. Technology has changed it. But there's even more. I think that that's why with this, you know, so much, so fast, so everything, I think that's why people are more than ever wanting to, you know, and I'll say this, and the young ones won't get it, but that, you know, movie or the song, What's It All About, Alfie? What's it all about, you know? And it's more than ever, I think people are hungry for having more meaning and more purpose. And, I mean, I just can't imagine, like, I have to ask you, after writing, directing, producing, you worked with the soundtrack, it's my understanding. I mean, what was your favorite part of all this? I mean, what was my favorite part about all of this? Um, oh, gosh. Let me see. Well, I really enjoyed the post-production process. I, I, I love that. And I think probably because that was more my comfort zone of all of it, I'd say that um, the thing that was most out of my comfort zone was um, directing actors and you know, getting good performances out of an actor. That was something that was very new to me, although I was so fortunate having um, you know, world-class actors that I was working with, so they made my job way easier on me than they should have. Um, but, but I actually really enjoyed, once I had all of the footage um, and I had the story in my mind of what I wanted to do, and then I had a most amazing musician to collaborate with on the soundtrack and a most amazing editor to work with, that um, then I could really shape, you know, take shape. And so when I used to come uh, the next morning and the editor was working all night and then I got to watch another scene all put together, um, and it was like, oh, my gosh, it's a movie now. I, I'd say that was probably my favorite uh, experience is the whole editing process and post-production, um, you know, putting the soundtrack in and sound effects and all of that stuff. That being said, it was all, it was all amazing. Uh, it's just that the, the filming part is the most arduous because, you know, you have to get up really early in the morning and work right. really late and everybody's just, you know, tired. working so hard and tired and, um, you know, it, it's like the, the the money is ticking away and, you know, it's just like this big pressure thing that happens. Um, and if you if you miss something, then you miss it forever because you have to move to a different location the next day and, um, you know, that sort of thing is it's just a little bit more stressful. Uh, as opposed to post-production, which is, oh, it took another day. That's okay. You know, it's not a big deal. Right. Because you don't yes, have, you know, you have a bunch yes. of people waiting there, you know, that you're paying. Right. <laughs> you know, it's so interesting. Uh, Gerald Jampolsky, the author of Love is Letting Go of Fear. And, you know, I've always, always remembered this one section. It's probably, I mean, I know the book, but there's this one section that has always stood out for me. And he says, you know, he said, your life is like a film. And there has never been a film made that was filmed one time and it was over. They, it has to be edited. You reshoot a scene. You, you know, edit it out, splice it in. And he said, your life is like that. No one has a perfect life. But the whole thing is, is you can't change what's been filmed or part of your story, but you can certainly rewrite it in your mind. You know, and, and splice in the way, you know, that, you know, looking at it from a different vantage point. And I I know what you mean, you know, like when I, well, I, I think I know what you mean. When I send the I don't know how many pieces to every one of, you know, these issues of the magazine, it's like, you know, the the photos of the book, the photos of the author, are they high high enough quality? Is You know, and then the editor, you know, each each issue, I mean, it's nothing like what you describe, but I understand that it's like all of a sudden there it is all put together, and you're like, oh, my gosh, how did they do that, you know? Yeah, it's and, a thing um, now. <laughs> it's I not know. a bunch of ideas. It's a thing. I know. It's just beautiful, though, and when you have that much creativity, and it sounds like you had a really good team, you know, with the actors and everyone working, you know, collaboratively, and, and how could you not with a, a film of this nature? So do you think you'll do more films, or where do you think this is all going next? Well, so, um, you know, the, as far as uh, adapting the first story in a trilogy, um, the, the good news is the other two parts of the story are written. Um, so so, so yeah. that, 
so that part's taken care of, and um, I, I've actually um, been fortunate enough to meet uh, some amazing people in this experience, including one uh, fantastic direct uh, producer that's interested in helping me produce the second in this uh, the second story in the series, which I'm I'm very excited about. And um, even more excited um, is just the whole idea of using uh, film as a storytelling medium. So I've actually written my next story um, exclusively as a screenplay, and I actually haven't written it as a novel, which is the first time I've done that. So um, I'm actually looking to to put a uh, a, a brand-new story that has nothing to do with the existing series um, out uh, first as a film. So I definitely got the bug, and we'll, we'll see if uh, uh, they they continue to come out. But but I'm very hopeful, and definitely got some good uh, good people interested right now. So that's that's kind of where I'm headed down that path. Okay, so listeners, you have been hearing Scott Bloom. He is the creator of the the new DVD that was just released in October of this year called Walk In. And this film, you know, has some people that we've heard of um, as far as actors, but he he brought together quite a team here. Uh, Some are highly acclaimed Shakespearean actors, uh, actors, and um, some of the supporting cast are uh, Catherine Coulson, Richard Richard Elmore from Twin Peaks of Wrath of Khan, Douglas Rowe from TV, sitcom stars um lots of other people this uh the the soundtrack was uh written and performed by world-class musician jeff is it pavar did i say that right Pivar, okay, who is known for his work with David Crosby, Ray Charles, and Ricky Lee Jones, and others. Um, you can see a, a movie trailer at www.walkinthemovie.com. I'll repeat that, W-A-L-K-I-N-T-H-E-M-O-V-I-E.com. And Scott Bloom, you know, has his hands in many things, and um, they can also go, is it the, the dailyom.com? Is that? It's or is yeah, it that, they, not, yeah, dailyom.com. That's not the okay. dailyom.com. All right. And then he also has a website um, with even more information just about what he and his wife Madison Taylor are doing, and you can go to uh, www.scottbloom.net, which is S-C-O-T-T-B-L-U-M.net. So we have a couple of more minutes. I would just like you to just share whatever you feel would be a good closing for all, you know, Things are changing. We're going into 2014. It's, you know, it's, these are different times we're living in. So what other words of wisdom with all of the, I mean, I'm sure you've seen trends with music. You've seen trends with meditation, yoga. I mean, you and your wife have been on the front lines for, for a while. What else do you see coming? Well, I think what we see coming is um, the ability to take all of this wisdom that we um that, that we have access to um, that, that have never seen the light of day and use technology to connect us to all of that. Um, I think that what we've seen so far in the personal development and, and self-improvement world is only a fraction of, of the wisdom that um, has gone before us. And I think that um, we're excited about uh, finding ways of bringing that uh, in, in a much bigger way uh, to be able to, to impact the world and, and truly make a difference into the, in the world. So that's, uh, that's kind of the, the new project that we're working on right now, and um, we're very excited about that. Yeah, I mean, you know, and I, I give thanks to Louise Hay, you know, almost daily, just because, well, I don't know, it's funny, you know, there's just certain people that have really had an influence, you know, and, you know, she she just believed in so much, you know, her, she did her own work, you know, Heal Your Body, I mean, I still, you know, I still hand that book out to so many different people, and you think about Florence Scovel Shen, The Game of Life, written in the early 1900s, female metaphysician, and no one would publish that book, and she self-published, and it's still in every language, and, you know, People are still buying it today. I mean, you just, you know, you think about all that these different people have contributed and just made the world a better place. Yes, absolutely. And 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 what's and it's one, what's funny is although this is the the day and age where there's we have access to more information than we ever have, I'd say ninety nine percent of it is noise, and getting that one percent is 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 really the hard part. And then right. finding out that that one percent only represents a fraction of of what really is going to change the world, and that's what we need to make sure that we get out there and and really um, embody and be able to communicate. 
And it takes listening, and you are a brave soul. I mean, you this whole thing that you did, just sitting down, writing it, then all of a sudden the words coming out of your mouth. You know, there's this book, it's an older book, called Cosmic Consciousness, and they, um, they you know, it's like Sir Francis Bacon, Emerson Thoreau, all these different people, you know, many existentialists, you know, but either way, just people that were a little bit, you know, connected and they all talked about this moment this cosmic moment where they were so dialed in and connected and i like the way you just took it and condensed it it can be this one pivotal moment that just changes everything yeah it can be that easy well i think that's the thing that we all need to do is we need to listen to that part of ourselves and, and really tune into our intuition because that's that's what we need to use to guide ourselves, not not our brains. It's it's truly our heart that, that needs to be the one that's leading when it comes to these significant uh, life moments. Okay. Well, Scott Bloom, I cannot thank you enough. And anything we can do at Spirit Seeker, you just let me know. We are here to help support everything that you're doing. And just thank you from my heart to yours. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. I okay. appreciate everything you do. All right. Good night, everyone, and we'll be back next week. And remember, this show is archived the minute it's over. You can listen to these podcasts any time of the day or night, and we know you're listening because I get the stats. So thank you all for supporting the show, and thank you, Scott Bloom, for being my guest. Okay. Good night, everyone. Namaste.